Hello and welcome to another episode of Beyond Reading the Bible. This is Lindsay Kennedy. This is Randy McCracken. Now, we have a very special guest on this episode today. In fact, um, it's someone with whom you're going to be very familiar. And it's the co-host, Randy McCracken. And I'm really excited for this because he's got something really great that he's going to be sharing with us and going to be bringing attention to some of his work. So sometimes the names in the narrative books of the Bible can become really overwhelming. We can lose track of who's who and why they matter and what role they play in the story. You know, who are these people and why should we really care about what role they play and, and what they're there for? And of course, in this podcast, we're focusing on how we can become better readers of the Bible. And so it's with that intention that we're going to be talking about Randy's book, that's called Family Portraits. And so Randy has been a Bible college teacher for how many years now, is it? Uh, I'm in my 15th year now, Lindsay. Okay, so is that 29 semesters or 30? Let's see. Uh, I'm not that good with math. That's why I'm a Bible college teacher. Um, yeah, it would be probably our 29th, and then mm. in the fall will be our 30th. Wow, and so you've done all all of those semesters at the one place, is that right, in York? That's right, all, all here in York, England. Right, and so with Calvary Chapel Bible College, in case uh, we've got some new listeners in this episode, that's where Randy is. And so Randy has had a very special interest in the historical books, particularly Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings. Of course, he teaches other classes, but doing those books really gives him this expertise in the historical books. and. Again, do you know off off top of your head how many times you've taught some of these books, Randy? Oh, I can't really say, uh, Lindsay, but I, in the case of the books of Samuel, which is going to be our focus in this episode, uh, about 10 times. Hmm. Wow. So I'm sure there's been a lot of growth through that for you, just getting more and more familiar with the book. And um, I know how it is for, with me. Every time I study a book, I feel like I see a lot that I've never seen there before. I, I've never taught something 10 times over, but I'm guessing you probably feel the same. Absolutely. Yeah, you're able to build on previous knowledge and insights that you've gained. And I find it exciting every time, because as you're saying, Lindsay, every time you study the Bible, you see something new, God reveals uh, something new to you, and uh, it never ceases to be uh, an exciting journey. I think one of the funny things about being a Bible college teacher, as opposed to a pastor is that you do get this opportunity to teach a book multiple times. You know, I know that some pastors may get that over the span of their career. Maybe they could teach a book maybe two or three times, or maybe teach it at different churches if they if they move. But to be able to teach a book ten times is really a unique opportunity. And also, what you get to do in a Bible college format is you're teaching it over something like twelve or thirteen weeks, as opposed to maybe a year or so if it's a bigger book. Um, and so I, you get that bird's eye view, but you also get that repetition and familiarity, don't you? Yeah, that's really true. And that's one of the things that, that I love about, about Bible college teaching is that you can explore the same book over and over again. Some people might think that's boring, but again, with the Word of God, I never find it that way. And we're fortunate here at Calvary Chapel uh, Bible College York that we get to choose areas of our interest and, and books that we really desire to teach. And so it's just been a joy to go through Samuel all of these times. Well, I remember even as a 
student and a teacher there as well myself, just how many times you would go through Samuel and I'd always hear these students being really excited about what they've been learning through the book. And, and I know for many of them, it was their favorite class of the you know semesters they've done there, even if they've done all uh, two years there, you know, four semesters, that a lot of them still say Samuel was the best one. So I know it's definitely not getting old for for them. If it if it's still exciting for them, then I'm sure it's still exciting for you. Oh, it's good good to hear. Yeah. So all of this has led uh, all this study in in Samuel, especially, has led you to write this book that's called Family Portraits. And I'd like to know more if you could tell our listeners more about this book. Uh, why is it called Family Portraits? What is it about? I know I've just hinted that it's about Samuel, but could you tell us a little bit more about the book? Sure. Um, the full title is actually Family Portraits, Character Studies in First and Second Samuel. And the reason it's called Family Portraits is one of the things I discovered as I studied and taught through the books of Samuel, is this theme of family constantly comes up. And it comes up in various ways, Lindsay. Um, one of the ways um, that dawned on me was as I began to look at the people in the book of First and Second Samuel, almost all of them were related to one of four families. And those are the families of Samuel, Eli, Saul, and David. Now, there are a few characters that don't fit that mold, uh, but even those characters that aren't related to one of those families, I found that the theme of family somehow is very significant to the part that those characters play in the story. Uh, in my experience of reading commentaries and special studies on Samuel, uh, I had never seen anyone come at it from that angle before, and so I thought that gave me something special to contribute, and that is to talk about how this theme of family fits in with the other themes of the, the books of First and Second Samuel. Uh, and then the word portraits uh, comes from this idea that actually we talked about in the uh, podcast episode on Gaps, Lindsay, where we mentioned that uh, the inspired author can never tell everything about everyone or every event. Uh, they have to be selective in what they say. And that's certainly true um, with the people that we find in First and Second Samuel. We can never learn absolutely everything about them. And so what we actually have are snapshots or portraits of individuals. And the pieces of information that we get about them fit into the uh, inspired author's theme. And he includes those parts of their personality or those actions that they did because it contributes to the message that he wants to get across in the book. Mm. That's great. And I give that gives a real foundation for uh, doing character studies at all is that the, the author is giving us details that matter. It's not simply um, just fleshing out the character for the sake of it, like we find in modern fiction, but the details are there for a reason. And so I know one thing about your book is that you really pick up on these details and, and ask the question why they're included. Before we talk a little bit more about the book, I think it would be worth talking about the Old Testament briefly, is that uh, I know that for, for many people, the Old Testament is the less read of the two Testaments. Um, despite the fact that you could call it most of the Bible, <laughs> but it's still often less read. And sometimes the narrative books can be uh, more popular because they feel like they're telling a story, but I still, the Old Testament is, is a lot less familiar to many. But I know that for you, you've got a real 
uh, focus and passion on the Old Testament, especially as you teach so many Old Testament classes. So what first sparked your interest in the Old Testament and why do you think it really matters uh, for believers today to have an understanding of the Old Testament? Yeah, those are great questions. Thanks. Um, when I originally went to Bible college, um, I was part of a church tradition that really emphasized the New Testament. And my original focus was the New Testament. But then I, I took a class uh, from a professor on the book of Genesis. And me and, and several of my friends were in this class. And we were just amazed at the truths that he was able to uncover about the character and the personality of God and the plan of God. And I remember one particular class period we were talking about God making the covenant with Abraham. And he was discussing with us about this idea that covenant is, is a relationship and uh, about how all of this was part of God's plan and so on. And when we left that uh, classroom, my friend turned to me and he said, you know, Randy, I feel like I've been born again, again. That's how excited we were. Uh, and that just sort of fed my desire to learn more about the Old Testament. And so I took a number of other Old Testament courses for my bachelor's program, uh, including first year Hebrew, because I be then became interested in that. And from there, uh, I wanted to pursue graduate work. And the natural uh, thing that, that I wanted to move toward was the Old Testament. So um, I spent a lot of time in graduate school studying uh, the Old Testament, and it just kind of went on from there. And uh, as you mentioned, uh, a lot of people in the church today seem to either be uncomfortable with or uh, frequently avoid the Old Testament. And so I found it a particular blessing to be able to teach the Old Testament and open it up to them and show them uh, the great God that is there and his love and his grace and how it flows from the Old Testament and how his plan originates there for the salvation of uh, all people. And so um, it's, it's really been a great joy of mine to spend a lot of time focusing on studying and teaching the Old Testament. Great. Okay. Well, I hope that inspires anyone who's not uh, has been switching off ever since we mentioned the Old Testament to, to get more excited about delving into it. And so uh, coming back to the book, uh, Family Portraits, what exactly drove you to write this? I know that you've, you've maybe mentioned some of this before, uh, that, you, that you hope to offer something from the angle of family, but do you have any other uh, things that you hope to contribute through this book? Yeah, there were a number of things that, that I hoped to accomplish through the book. Um, one was this unique perspective on how Samuel, uh, the books of Samuel, deal with this idea of, of families and how this fits into the picture of the nation of Israel and the struggle for kingship between Saul and David and so on. Um, but I had other goals as well, Lindsay, and, and those included uh, some of the things that, that we've done on this podcast for episodes. I, I wanted to um, lead people through a study of a book uh, and show them um, ways in which you can use biblical tools. For instance, we've talked about gaps and we've talked about typology in another episode and we've talked about uh, the, uh, the biblical narrator and the significant part that is played by the narrator in the story. And uh, there's probably some other episodes, uh, genre and so on. So I've tried to incorporate all of these things into the book 
And at the beginning of the book, uh, in the introduction, uh, I mention them and, and give a brief overview of why they're significant. And then I try to illustrate that throughout the book and how these things help us to get a deeper understanding uh, of what the uh, inspired author is trying to communicate. I think that's important just to draw attention to the fact that you're, even though you're doing character studies, you're doing character studies with the goal of understanding what Samuel is trying to tell us, or the book of Samuel, that is, um, rather than just character studies for their own sakes. And I know I'm going to um, probably discuss that actually right now in the next question, which is, um, it leads really to this quote from Dale Ralph Davis. And he's warned uh, the following. He said that the focus on biblical characters in biblical narrative usually leads biblical interpretation astray. Uh, what he's getting at there is that often character studies are focusing on the characters and maybe even like they're paying attention to their moral choices. You know, should Abraham have done such and such? And and drawing attention just to that can often lead us away from what the text is trying to say when we focus on these characters and, and their choices. Um, do you recognize this as being a danger as well? And if so, how do you hope to avoid that in this book? Yeah, actually, uh, I, I do recognize it as a danger. And I think we've all heard, heard studies on, on various biblical characters. Uh, some of them are really good, but sometimes, as you've pointed out, um, things are taking, taken out of the context of the book. And so it was really important for me to begin this book by having a knowledge and an understanding of what the messages of First and Second Samuel were. What was it that God was trying to communicate in these books? And are there key passages and are there key themes that flow through the book? Uh, and then the characters fit into that. The, the inspired author tells certain stories because they fit those themes that God wanted him to communicate. So every time I wrote about a character, I kept those themes in mind and tried to show how the character uh, illustrated uh, those theological themes. Yeah, I think that's definitely important that you keep the main picture in focus, um, even when you're looking at the details of these individual characters. And so that then turns to ask a question of which characters is it, uh, which characters are you actually looking at? Um, family portraits is mostly focused on first and second Samuel. I do believe you, you get into the first chapters of Kings. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, that's true. And, of course, these characters that you're paying attention to, they're part of this larger narrative and message of Samuel that we've kept uh, re-emphasizing up to this point. But I think at this point it would be great to ask a question, Randy, what are some of the main themes of the book of Samuel? What What is the big picture of Samuel? Yeah, that's definitely an important question. Um, I would begin with the theme of power. Uh, these are stories that have to do with the birth of kingship in Israel and a struggle for the throne, as I mentioned earlier, between Saul and David. Um, and so there's, there's definitely a, a human power struggle going on. But more than that, the books of Samuel testify to the power of God and how in the midst of human beings struggling with one another through the use and the abuse of power, God's power is sovereign over everything. This comes through right away at the beginning of the book of Samuel in chapter 2 in, in Hannah's prayer, where uh, she talks about how it's the Lord who kills and makes alive, and the Lord brings down to the grave and brings up, and the Lord makes poor and makes rich, he brings low and lifts up, and so on. 
and so right at the beginning of the books of Samuel, we have this theme of power announced and how God is the one who is ultimately in control. So it's important to keep that idea in mind. And actually, I found it very intriguing how the theme of family wove into this theme of power. Because normally, when we think of power, we're thinking of nations and we're thinking of battles, for instance, maybe like David and Goliath or David fighting the Philistines. Uh, And so family uh, sort of recedes into the background. But the books of Samuel constantly interweave this idea of family with national politics uh, and what's going on in the lives of the high priest Eli or what's going on in the life of King Saul and his family or David and his family. And it shows how um, all of these things interconnect. Uh, so that that's uh, one really important theme. Uh, I th- some others that I see, uh, one is also announced in chapter 2 and verse 30. Uh, and there uh, a prophet is speaking to the high priest Eli and he's rebuking him. And he makes this statement from the Lord Those who honor me, I will honor. Those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. And so I find as I go throughout the books of Samuel that all of the characters play into that theme. Uh, If if their actions and their words honor God, they are honored. If their actions dishonor God, then uh, they experience consequences. They experience judgment. Um, couple of other things I'll mention very quickly, and, and then we, we can move on. Uh, and each of these seem to be tied to a very key passage of Scripture in the books of Samuel. You find these themes uh, throughout all the stories, but there's, there's certain verses that really seem to highlight it. Uh, as I mentioned here with Hannah's prayer in chapter 2, and then with the prophet's words in 2.30, uh, another important passage is when the prophet Samuel confronts Saul in 1 Samuel 15, uh, where he says to obey is better than sacrifice. Uh, And so this theme of obedience as opposed to just outward uh, observance uh, that's not really coming from the heart, uh, that really shines through uh, in many of these stories. And then finally, when Samuel goes to anoint David in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7, our listeners may recall the story that Samuel thinks that uh, uh, Jesse's oldest son standing before him is surely the one that God wants to anoint. And God says, no, I've rejected him. Uh, And he says, for God uh, does not look on things the way man does, for the Lord looks not on appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And this whole theme of appearance versus what's really in the heart is a key theme that I find in almost every story in the books of Samuel. So by noticing these key verses, they, they highlight many, many of these important themes and messages found in the book. Yeah, that's really helpful, Randy. It's, you can definitely see those themes being uh, the one who's being lifted up, who lifts up the Lord, the one who despises the Lord being uh, torn down and taken down. You can see that so clearly in the larger narrative of Saul and him him being raised up and taken down, and then David um, as his replacement, for example. Um, but of course, in, in this book, there's something that's unique about family portraits that I'm excited to discuss now is that 
um, one may assume that this is um, largely or maybe even almost entirely a study of the characters of say uh, Samuel, Saul, and David uh, because they play such a large role but you've actually chosen to uh, not focus on those characters but to focus more on the supporting cast and how they uh, support the the characters but also the message of Samuel and so um, can you give us some, some examples of these characters and what they have to offer and why you've chosen to focus on them rather than the main players? Yes, I'll start with why I, I chose to focus on these characters. Uh, it began with this insight that the books of Samuel are basically about four families and that most of the characters in the book are related to one of these four families. Again, that's the family of Samuel, the family of Eli, the family of Saul, and the family of David. Um, of course, there are a lot of studies out there and a lot of very good books written about the life of David or written about Saul, uh, even a few on Samuel. And so as I began to write this book, I, I realized that I couldn't possibly treat all of the members of these families, plus include character studies on Saul, Samuel, and David. Uh, the book would have just been too too large. Uh, and um, I, I also realized that there was actually nothing out there, uh, at least not to my knowledge, that really focuses in on all of these other characters. Now, you might find a book that uh, talks about Joab or maybe a book that talks about Hannah. But to include all of these characters in, in one book and to show how they fit into the themes of Samuel uh, was certainly something that uh, I had never seen before. And again, that's what encouraged me to, to write the book, because I thought, well, here's something that I can contribute that, that no one else has uh, contributed. That's great, yeah. And as is often the case with teachers, uh, you have your favorite passages that you love to teach, or in your case with this book, uh, do you have any particular supporting um, characters that you really enjoy, um, maybe you enjoyed writing about them or enjoyed your study, or you just find yourself connecting with them in some way? Yeah, um, I definitely fell in love with, with Hannah, uh, who only is found in, in the first couple of chapters of First Samuel. But um, to identify, first of all, with her pain and her sorrow at the beginning, but to see how she struggles through that and clings to the Lord uh, and that it is actually the faith of Hannah and the vow that she makes and the prayer that she prays that becomes a catalyst to the change for all of Israel. Because this is during the period of the judges when everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes and everything is very chaotic and people are disobedient. And here is this one woman uh, in a very desperate situation, uh, experiencing a lot of pain and turmoil, even within her own family. And yet it is her faithfulness and her prayer that actually is the turning point in God um, doing some great things in Israel. It's because of Hannah's prayer that Samuel's born. And Samuel, uh, he, he revives the prophetic word and he reforms the priesthood. And he becomes the one who anoints the first kings of Israel, Saul, and then later David. And so this woman is the start of all of that. And I find that extraordinary. A lot of people want to accuse the Bible of being patriarchal. Uh, and there's no doubt that it was written in a patriarchal society. 
but the Bible frequently lifts up uh, and magnifies the, the worth and uh, the faith of, of great women. <clears throat> and Hannah is definitely one of those. The history of Israel would have been very different without her. So she's one. Um, I could point to others. Sometimes some of the evil characters in the book, of which there are more evil characters than good ones, sadly, uh, can be quite intriguing. I really enjoyed my studies of both Joab and uh, Absalom, and I found them to be very devilish and <laughs> evil people. Um, but there's a lot of insight uh, into what you don't want to be uh, as you as you read uh, read their stories. Hmm. It's interesting just going back to Hannah that that she even from a literary standpoint is so important to Samuel as as you've mentioned she prays that prayer that really bookends um, first and second Samuel doesn't it that prayer is um, reverberates right all the way to the very end where you have the psalm of david right is it i think it's um was it second samuel 22 is it where it's yeah, um right. psalm 18 oh thanks yeah <laughs> it's psalm 18 um almost verbatim um and those themes that that you find in in david wrapping up his life are also found first in um hannah's prayer is that isn't that right that, that's true, and it's quite extraordinary. So at the beginning of the books of Samuel, you you have Hannah's prayer, which talks about the sovereignty of God and um, the theme of power and the theme of kingship. And then when you get to the end of 2 Samuel, you have David's psalm in chapter 22, as you mentioned, with the very same themes, many of the same words. Uh, one of the things I do is I throw up the words from 1 Samuel 2, Hannah's prayer and contrast them or, or compare them with the words of David in 2 Samuel 22 and show the students how many similar words and themes there are uh, in those two uh, pieces of poetry. And as you said, Lindsay, they act as an inclusio. They are bookends around the books of Samuel, and they are one of the keys to understanding one of the most important themes, which is this theme of power or this theme of God's sovereignty. And so now turning maybe to the flip side of this question, uh, did you run across any characters that were difficult? Maybe um, they're so distasteful or maybe your study was just, it was hard to find what exactly, um, what role they're playing in this book or something along those lines. Yeah, I'll, I'll mention a, a couple of ladies again. Uh, I actually maybe surprisingly found the character study of Bathsheba to be very difficult in that there's not as much information in First and Second Samuel about Bathsheba as you might think there is. And um, in fact, her story bleeds over into First Kings chapters 1 and 2. And it's one of the reasons that I also include First Kings 1 and 2, because Bathsheba and a number of other characters, uh, their stories sort of wrap up there uh, at the beginning of Kings. Uh, and um, so there's a lot of questions as to what kind of woman was Bathsheba. Was she uh, conniving? Was she trying to, you know, get pregnant so that she could force David to marry her and all of these things? And I titled the, the chapter The Ambiguous One. Uh, I don't think that Bathsheba was conniving in any way. Um, but there is a lot of ambiguity about 
her character. You can, in other words, raise certain questions and not be 100% sure of what the answer should be. Uh, for instance, when David calls her to the palace uh, and then commits adultery with her, why does she do it? Does she do it because, uh, because she is conniving and underhanded and wants to manipulate David? Does she do it because uh, he's the king and she's afraid to say no to him? Uh, and so we're left with these question marks in her story. Uh, and you have to do a lot of detective work. Uh, looking at the story in 2 Samuel 11 and 12 where she's mentioned and then going over to 1 Kings 1 and 2 where she's mentioned again to really solve some of these questions. And some of them are so ambiguous that uh, you'll read different accounts of who Bathsheba is. And some will say she's this and others will say she's that. And that's because of the ambiguity in the story. Uh, another one that was difficult to do was a character by the name of Rizpah. And many of our listeners may not even be familiar with her. But she was a concubine of Saul. And she only occurs uh, in two places in 2 Samuel. Um, the thing that was difficult about Rizpah is that she never says a word. It's really nice when uh, people talk because you learn something about their personality and their character. And when you have a, a character in the story who never says a word, that's pretty challenging. But at the same time, I found my study of her very interesting and rewarding um, because of some of the insights I, I learned from examining the passages that she was in. So in this research, I, I know that you've even mentioned this, like, for example, with Bathsheba, that you have to do a lot of detective work and you have to dig in deep. And you find that uh, in some cases you even have experts on completely opposite, taking completely opposite perspectives on a particular question. And I'm curious if in your study, whether it's just particularly for this book or even just over the years um, that you've taught Samuel, do you find yourself changing your mind? Maybe some presuppositions were challenged or maybe even just some very strongly held opinions over time you found that you've um, wanted to change them and maybe take a totally different perspective? Uh, that, that was certainly true as I, as I studied in preparation for writing this book. Uh, to, to give you an example of a different character, Abner, who is the commander of Saul's army, and he's either uh, Saul's cousin or Saul's uncle. There's some ambiguity over that. Uh, but I found him to be quite a surprise for me because um, as I taught through Samuel in the past, I, I kind of pictured Abner as not so bad a guy. Um, we have this story in 2 Samuel uh, uh, chapter 3, where he, he wants to bring the kingdom to David and make David king over all of Israel. And I've read a number of commentaries in the past who say, uh, you know, Abner, yeah, originally he was opposed to David and they fought this civil war, but he came around in the end and he really wasn't a bad person and all of that. One of the big surprises to me was to really investigate the passages uh, where Abner uh, is found in, and to see that Abner really was a character who's all about himself. And uh, even in wanting to bring the kingdom to David there in 2 Samuel 3, it was because he realized he was fighting a losing battle. 
and he wanted to reserve a place of, and position of power for himself. And what better way to do that than to be the one who delivers Israel over to David? Uh, he quotes prophecies and things like that in that chapter, which make him sound very pious. And if you just read it on the surface level, you think, yeah, this Abner, he's not a bad guy. But then you go back and, and you examine all of the places uh, in First and Second Samuel where he occurs, and he never mentions the Lord anywhere else. He only mentions the Lord when it's politically expedient for him. Uh, and so I really changed my opinion and saw Abner uh, as another kind of Saul, uh, which was, uh, again, very different from the way I had pictured him before. Yeah, that, that's very interesting. Uh, I'm definitely, the more that you're uh, saying about this book, the more I'm wanting to go reread it myself. I'm glad I have <laughs> that's a copy. Good. That's a compliment. Yeah. I know, I know. I'm sure listeners will be thinking that I'm just putting in an extra plug there, but, uh, you know, that I do think you're paying me over um, PayPal or something after this, isn't that right? That's <laughs> no, right. There's a large contribution coming your way, Lindsay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, it's definitely um, very much the case that with this, with this book, the reason that we're doing this interview is that it's, I think it really belongs with what we're doing in this podcast um, about how to become a better reader of the Bible. And one of the things that I'm really excited about with your book, and I think it's it's quite unique, is that you you make it very accessible and readable, and um, there's even humor in the body of the text, there's even um, sort of devotional, sort of practical, personal application. And then at the same time, you have these, especially in the footnotes, you have a lot of uh, references to academic books and even discussing these more um, academic and rigorous uh, questions and topics about the book. And I think that really sets it apart from many books um, that usually fall into one or one or the other of these two camps. Uh, somehow it manages to be both academic and devotional. And so I'm curious, um, why did you choose this approach? And who would you like to benefit from this book? Who are you thinking of when you wrote this book, seeing as it seems to cover uh, so much ground? Um, well, I address this uh, question in my preface because um, it was important to me to, first of all, uh, to make sure that I studied the text uh, and knew the text well. And by that, I mean not only the English text, but what the Hebrew text was saying. Um, and it was important for me to hear what, uh, what scholarship has said about the books of Samuel and about the people and about God found in the books of Samuel. Uh, because I think it, it's pretty arrogant if you think that you're just going to dive in uh, and, and study this without uh, hearing from anyone else. We have 2,000 years of church history um, with great and godly interpreters of Scripture. And uh, so, it, to me, it's, it's arrogant to think uh, that uh, well, I don't need to read or, or listen to any of them. I'm just going to do this all on my own. And so that in and of itself uh, put me on sort of what you might call a, a, an academic road. But at the same time, my, my heart wasn't really to communicate simply to scholars. It was to communicate to, uh, to pastors and even to people in the church who would be interested, say, in the life of David or in the books of First and Second Samuel. So I wanted to write in a way uh, that I wasn't writing over someone's head, which I'm not sure I could do that anyway, but uh, it certainly wasn't my purpose. And uh, I wanted to make the book applicational because it's one thing to 
learn some great truths from the books of First and Second Samuel, but how do they apply to my life? And if we don't make that step, then we've missed one of the most important parts of our Bible study. Uh, we've got to take it from head knowledge to heart knowledge and how we can put it into our lives. Uh, I'm encouraged that there are actually a number of books that I've read over the last few years that seem to be taking this approach more and more. Uh, I think the world of scholarship began to realize you know, we're out, we're out of touch with uh, the people in the pew, and it's very important that we not only talk amongst ourselves about God's Word, but that we communicate it uh, to, the, to the Christian who's coming to church every Sunday, uh, and that they see the application of it. So, uh, that was my heart and, and my reason for the approach that I took. So, uh, in some ways, um, there are people who might think it's academic because every once in a while I refer to a Hebrew word, or as you said, in some of the footnotes, I refer to a lot of scholarly literature. Uh, and then on the other hand, there are people who say, oh, might say this is, oh, too devotional and too applicational. And uh, so, in a sense, it's sort of a dangerous road to tread because I'm trying to walk down both paths at once. Uh, but yet, I'm firmly convinced that we need more and more of that kind of approach. Yeah, that's good. And I think it's hard, um, in my own experience as a Bible college teacher myself, and I'm sure you can resonate, it's really hard to be teaching the text of Scripture and not find yourself applying it and even uh, falling into the preaching category at times. Uh, it's just so natural to do that. And I know you even find that in Scripture, like, for uh, for example, with Paul in uh, like when he goes through Romans 9 through 11, he just ends with this praise towards God and or even 1 through 8 uh, doing the same. He just he actually has to respond in praise. And it's I think it's one of the things that's great about your book is that you're not just uh, doing the academics for its own sake, but you're actually doing it and it's forcing you to uh, speak about these greater truths and this um, what God is actually wanting to say to us through this book. And so uh, really the final question is, so what would you hope that your readers would take away from Family Portraits? I'm hoping that some people are interested in learning more about these characters and what what sort of effect are you hoping that it would have on any potential reader? Well, there are a few things that, that I hope people would uh, gain from, from reading Family Portraits. The, the first is probably the most obvious, and that is a, a closer relationship with God as they learn the truths that are found in First and Second Samuel. Um, I think character studies provide a unique way of really speaking into people's lives. I think as people read through the book and encounter these various characters, there are some that they're going to identify with. Uh, there, are, there are certain uh, good qualities that they'll identify with, and there are certain sins that they may struggle with that they'll identify with. And they'll see how it affected the, the lives of the people in First and Second Samuel. Uh, and so it's, it's a great message then, whether it's an exhortation uh, to turn away from that sin and to repent and, and uh, you know, change, allow God, God and His Holy Spirit to change you, or whether it's just a, a confirmation of you're, you're headed on the right road, don't give up. Things may be tough like they are with Hannah, but God is faithful and He'll bring you through. So um, those are certainly the kinds of things that I hope that a reader will get from Family Portraits. The other thing is something that I mentioned um, um, 
toward the beginning of the interview, and that is uh, I hope that people will gain a, a deeper sense of how to study the Bible, uh, which again is the whole reason for this podcast, isn't it, Lindsay? Um, and so, as, as I mentioned, I, I try to model how uh, being aware of typology or how being aware of gaps or how hearing the narrator's voice or how listening to the different characters and how they speak to one another and what words they use. Uh, I've tried to model how being, being uh, uh, attentive to details can really make a huge difference in our understanding of Scripture. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, I can certainly recommend Family Portraits and the work that you've done there and just getting to know the biblical text even better. That's always the goal that, that we're striving for in this podcast, and I know that the book definitely takes major steps forward in that direction. Uh, I think it's really a great book for personal reading. I know that um, some of your listeners have been just those who have in the pews who pick up the book and have just really grown in their um, understanding the Bible. But I know also that pastors would benefit from this book because uh, they may want to do some character studies of their own in series of sermons, or maybe they just want to flesh out these characters as they encounter them. And maybe a finding that their commentaries aren't really doing that. They're really just treating them um, in a verse by verse sort of case by case basis. But I know your book gives sort of the bigger bird's eye view of these characters and their trajectories and their own stories and so it's definitely a great book for uh for many potential readers and so um we will have a link on our show notes to to how someone can purchase it but i do believe you can just pick it up on um the regular sources like amazon and things like that is that right randy yeah that's right it's it's on amazon and it's on um, barnes and noble and and various internet sources you can get it, of course, through the publisher, the publisher's Westbow Press. We'll, we'll put links to those main sites uh, up on the website. Okay, well, that's great. And so that's another episode of Beyond Reading the Bible. <laughs> Randy, did you have any closing thought or anything you'd like to say before we wrap up? Well, I just want to thank you, Lindsay, for uh, allowing me the opportunity to be interviewed about the book and uh, to share uh, what some of the message of the book is about. So. Thanks for your questions, and uh, obviously thanks for the friendship that we share and look forward to future episodes together. Okay, well, that's great. I hope our listeners want to return as we keep bringing out more podcasts. For more episodes and links to resources for each episode, visit our page beyondreadingthebible.com. We hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as we enjoy making it. Any review that you want to leave on iTunes or Google Play or any share on social media would go a huge way towards getting the word out there. This podcast requires a chunk of time and research and writing, recording, editing, promotion. It even has some financial costs. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider joining our community at Patreon by going to patreon.com forward slash mydigitalseminary. For the price of a cup of coffee, you could make a big difference. There's also some great rewards as well. Special thanks to one of our supporters, Evan Baysmore, for making this episode possible. Music is by Heritage. Their music can be found at heritage.com. And I need to mention that the A in Heritage is a V. Randy McCracken can be found at BibleStudyWithRandy.com. And I can be found at MyDigitalSeminary.com. <laughs>